I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. It is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Ben Ferguson here with you. Nice to have you guys. And we have a lot of news to talk about. The senator is on the road joining us as he is traveling from the last bus stop in Missouri, heading to another very important state. Senator, I appreciate you joining us. And for everybody that's an audio quality geek like me, just know he's on the phone because we're on the bus tour today. Uh, Senator, how's it going so far? Well, fantastic. As you mentioned, we're on the bus. We're headed down the freeway. We're going from Missouri up to the state of Iowa. Uh, After Iowa, we're headed to Ohio and then Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, back up to Michigan, then to Wisconsin, and we're ending in the great state of Texas. Uh, you've been out there, and you've obviously seen the crowds, and if you haven't been following the senator on social media, you should look at the pictures. Uh, I think the crowds that you've been seeing are very indicative of, of what voter turnout could look like in just a few weeks on the Republican side of things. And while that's happening, Senator, we're also noticing a very interesting new trend, and it's one I think is uh, concerning for all Americans. That is major Democrats are refusing to debate conservative candidates you and i were talking about this uh before the show you're concerned that democrats may stop debating republicans if this continues to be an effective strategy for them yeah that's right it's a really disturbing development i've been with with two of the republicans who are facing it in the last few days uh, i was in arizona with carrie lake who's running for governor i think she's going to be elected the republican governor there and her Democrat opponent, Katie Hobbs, refuses to debate. She says there will be no gubernatorial debate in the state of Arizona. She won't do it. Uh, up in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, the Democrat nominee for governor, refuses to debate Mastriano. Again, no debate for you. He's not going to do it. And I just left Missouri last night in a big rally with Eric Schmidt, who is the Republican nominee for Senate in Missouri. His Democrat opponent, Trudy Bush Valentine, a gazillionaire and uh, an heiress of the Bush beer fortune, uh, refuses to debate as well. And, and then what I think it is, is they are following the Joe Biden basement strategy. They saw that he basically hid in his basement for two years and the media got him elected president. And they're saying, wait a second, this is a great approach because. Every day of the week, the media carries our water. They repeat our attack lines and they protect our candidates. The only time a candidate is ever held to account is in a debate. So if we refuse to debate, we'll never be held to account. And, and I got to say, this is a really dangerous development. I think in two years or four years, you could see dozens or more major Democrat candidates saying, we will not debate. And, and 
I got to admit, I find it personally offensive. I, I, I think it shows contempt for the voters. I think it shows contempt for the democratic process. Listen, I've had debates against opponents who were not serious or strong or credible opponents, but I think you owe the voters uh, the chance to see the candidate to make a decision. But this is yet another step in the Democrats and the corporate media getting in bed together and, and, and being corrupted. To be clear, it worked for, you know, the current president, Joe Biden. And it's yeah. something that I'm sure woke up a lot of Democratic judges saying, look, if we've got a candidate that's not good on stage, we've got a candidate that can't defend the issues and look at the issues now. They're a mile long for many of these campaigns, border security, the economy, inflation, interest rates. The list, unfortunately, literally goes on and on. They just say, all right, we'll buy the election by buying ads. And we just won't debate, and hopefully people will just believe us and the media will give us cover, because the media center would have never allowed this to happen 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, and it's even more than that. It's not just buying ads. It's, it's they know that the media's news coverage 24 hours a day will be an ad. I mean, I mean, I mean everything they cover will be trying to advance uh, the Democrat message, trying to elect the Democrats. And, and right now, the corporate media is the biggest super PAC in America uh, for the Democrats. On the other hand, and, and it's not even if your candidate is not that good at debates, even if they are. Look, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, one of the reasons he won't debate is the polls have him leading by a comfortable margin. And so I'm sure their attitude is, hey, we're going to win if we don't do anything. So why screw it up? Um, it's an arrogance. It, it's I'm entitled to be elected and the voters are too stupid. They don't even deserve to see a hard question get asked of me. Uh, you know, the flip side, and part of the reason Democrats do this, so the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, we just had a debate between uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. The, the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution says, quote, Herschel Walker's debate performance scores points for his campaign. Well, Raphael Warnock's probably wondering, why did I give Herschel Walker a platform when every other day the corporate media hacks just attack Herschel Walker all day long, and suddenly Warnock had to answer difficult questions, which he hasn't had to answer any day of the year. When, when the press refuses to do the job of a journalist, refuses to ask Democrats difficult questions or really any questions, then it's only during a debate that a Democrat is forced to defend his or her record or answer a hard question and you mentioned previously that the, the media would have lost their minds because, look, the, the journalists make a lot of money. Media companies make a lot of money on these political debates. They are so complicit that they're willing to give up millions of dollars to make sure Democrats win because the media in Arizona and Missouri and Pennsylvania ought to be going nuts every single day pounding these candidates. Look, it's so bad there was a reporter from Project Veritas who was trying to get Katie Hobbs to answer a question. She literally ran away and hid in the bathroom rather than answer a reporter's question because Democrats believe that they're entitled never to have to answer a hard question. 
It's really interesting, Senator, where we are as a country, and I'm talking about on transparency, uh, and I'll move from Democrats refusing to debate to the other side of the coin, which is Republicans are willing to have a grand debate. You do college campuses, you do a lot of public speaking events, and now what we see is the left is trying to cancel us. A perfect example of this is, is Dr. Phil had an interesting conversation with Tommy Lauren, who is over at Fox News Channel, about cancel culture and where republicans show up they don't want to lie to speak but when when republicans demand democrats speak they don't want to do it and i want you to hear part of this uh that was that was put out about her being canceled take a listen I came here to speak in Albuquerque University of New Mexico. I know that there was a protest planned. You know, usually when I speak, there's protests planned. And usually it's small, it's manageable, just some rowdy people, disgruntled liberals, you know, the standard. That's not what happened tonight. It turned violent. They started pushing the officers that were guarding the door, trying to bust in the door. I was escorted away for my safety by officers. The emergency unit had to be called in because that's how bad it got. Uh, we were barricaded in the kitchen for probably about a half an hour to 45 minutes. I mean, you hear that and you hear Tommy describe this. And the scary thing is now this is normal. You, you talk to many college campus speakers. You do this. The security apparatus has changed for all conservatives that go on campuses. And so while we're saying let's have a grand debate, they're saying not only do we not want to debate you, we don't even want to allow you to speak. Yeah. So when when Democrat candidates are skipping debates and refusing to debate, they're trying to silence any public discourse. They're trying to silence their ideas being questioned. What you just played there, what 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 happened to Tommy Lauren on University of New Mexico is a step even further, which is many on the left are willing to use violence uh, to stop an opposing view. They're, they're willing to threaten violence. They're willing to harass. They're willing to intimidate. The fact that, that, that a young woman had to hide, and it was, it was law enforcement that told her to hide there for her safety for 45 minutes because violent leftists were threatening uh, to physically injure her. That, I mean, that is it's completely wrong. It happens on college campuses far too often. It happened, by the way, uh, a number of months ago at Yale Law School, where a lawyer for the Alliance Defending Freedom, who had won a major Supreme Court case on religious liberty in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, she was there speaking, and hundreds of angry leftists at Yale began screaming and and, and shut the event down. And, And, of course, the, the Yale Law School campus did, did, did nothing to punish, to reprimand those students. I will say, by the way, as an aside, a very interesting development for that. A good friend of mine is a federal judge of the Fifth Circuit, Judge Jim Ho. And, and he gave a long speech in which he said, given Yale Law School's willing to, willingness to tolerate cancel culture and to tolerate violence, shutting down free speech, uh, from this point forward, he is not going to hire law clerks who go to Yale Law School. And, and his announcements caused a lot of the, the blue checkmark lefties to lose their mind and get very, very upset. Judge Ho is a very prestigious judge. He's a phenomenal judge, and not being able to clerk for him is a big deal for young aspiring lawyers. Since then, more than a dozen other federal judges have followed suit and said, we're not going to hire clerks from Yale also. And so I'm glad to see people are are pushing back uh, against this use of violence to censor and silence views the left doesn't like.
It's getting dangerous, and you look at even parents now. We've started to see a very clear trend. It's now normal for the FBI and the DOJ to be weaponized to attack people that they don't agree with, a.k.a. conservatives. We saw this start. You and I had this discussion the other day about under the Obama administration, but now it's gone to the point of just total rogue nation, I would describe it, where anything you don't like or anybody you don't like, you call them a domestic terrorist. And it's not just people saying it. It's the actual government saying it. Parents showed up to talk about their kids, what they're being taught in schools. They were labeled domestic terrorists, the same as Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And you just came out, and this is a new group of people they're treating like they're terrorists. The AMA, uh, you slammed the AMA's call to prosecute people uh, exposing radical transgender surgery providers and demands to know, and thank you for doing this, that the DOJ actually prompted this letter, break down this story of how now they're saying, we'll just take kids away from parents. Well, it, it, it's yet another escalation of violence. So a second ago, we were talking about the use of violence from just individual actors and institutions turning a blind eye and allowing threats of violence to be carried out. There's a further escalation of violence which is the use of state violence, the use of state power to threaten to criminally prosecute and incarcerate people. Under basic principles of our Constitution, the state, the government, has a monopoly on violence, but it should be used only in rare circumstances, in other words, to physically prevent someone from committing a a crime or to punish them from committing a, a crime. Well, what has happened under Barack Obama, and what has metastasized even worse under Joe Biden, is the law enforcement agencies, DOJ, FBI, the intelligence agencies, have been weaponized. It is now a tool that they use to go after their enemies and and to threaten criminal consequences. And so, as you noted, uh, we had a number of months ago, the National Association of School Boards wrote a letter to President Biden saying, will you please target moms and dads who are going to school boards and speaking out because they're unhappy about critical race theory, they're unhappy about radical transgender ideology, they're unhappy about, as was the case in Loudoun County, uh, a a little girl, a 14-year-old girl who was sexually assaulted in the bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt, and the school board then covered it up, insisted it hadn't happened, and actually had the father uh, of the little girl arrested when he went to the school board meeting expressing his understandable, deep displeasure. Well... Merrick Garland, the attorney general, five days later, immediately wrote a memo to the FBI directing them target parents. Uh, The National Association of School Board had asked that they be targeted under the Patriot Act as domestic terrorists. And the Biden DOJ saluted and said, sir, yes, sir. And they are doing it right now. Their parents across the country that the FBI is interviewing is going after because they've exercised their First Amendment rights. Well, what's happened next? the American Medical Association decided to get in on the game. And, and, and the leftists who control the AMA are unhappy that a handful of intrepid reporters have begun reporting on these hospitals that are making big business, millions and, and, and up to billions of dollars, uh, performing genital mutilations, performing uh, uh, surgeries where they sterilize children, little girls, little boys, they cut off their genitals, they remove their uterus, they make it so they cannot have children, and it is a money-making endeavor, and and the corporate institution of medicine is embarrassed and mad that anyone caught them at it, and so the AMA asked DOJ, did they they ask them, hey, go after people that are 
forcible that, that are sterilizing children who, who don't have the ability to consent and are not mature enough to make those kind of life decisions? No. They're asking DOJ, prosecute the journalists, prosecute people who are exposing the truth. And so I joined a week ago. I brought together five senators and writing a letter to DOJ telling Merrick Garland, do not do this. This would be an abuse of power and asking DOJ to give give us every communication they've had with the AMA. And it's yet another example of using government power to silence those who disagree with you. And in this instance, it's even worse uh, because the corporate media won't do its job. The left is trying to literally put in jail anyone who will do the job of journalism and report on the horrific activities uh, that are being carried out on children and, 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 and they're barbaric and, and the media supports it all. And, and I suspect the White House and DOJ does as well. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart to heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. I'm Hannah Storm and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that brings me to another part of this story. A Virginia Democrat senator has decided to introduce legislation They would allow parents who don't affirm their child's gender identity to actually be criminally prosecuted. The local news media put out this story. I'm going to play it for everybody, and then I want to get your reaction. 
California delegate is introducing a new bill centered around parents and how they handle their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. 7 News reporter Nick Minock explains why this is controversial. Right now, parents' rights and LGBTQ protections are a big focus in Virginia. Thousands of students in Virginia have walked out of class protesting Governor Glenn Youngkin's newly proposed model policies on the treatment of transgender students at school. Trans rights are human rights! And Governor Youngkin argues schools shouldn't keep parents in the dark about their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. These same progressives in Fairfax County actually believe that they should lock parents out of their children's lives. They think that parents have no right to know what your child is discussing with their teacher or their counselor. Democratic Virginia delegate Elizabeth Guzman is a social worker, and she's planning on reintroducing a bill in Richmond that she says would help protect LGBTQ children from their parents and guardians who may not be affirming of their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. This is how we're going to push back. Her bill would expand the state's definition of child abuse and neglect to include parents who do not affirm their child's gender identity or sexual orientation. There's I mean, I'm just going to stop it there, Senator. You hear this delegate say this. If you don't agree with what your child tells you at the age of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, anywhere in there about their sexual orientation or gender identity, then you could be charged criminally with child abuse. Yeah, it, it, it is one of the most terrifying news stories I have ever read. And this is where the modern left is. So what they are saying, so let me stop and say that the words gender affirming really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame for absurd euphemisms. And by the way, gender affirming, every corporate media hack uses gender affirming, gender affirming. Let's be clear. What they mean is not saying to your kid, oh, you're so awesome. I love you, kiddo. No, no. What they mean by gender affirming care is, is look, Ben, you're the, you're the father of sons. If, if your son comes to you and says, Daddy, um, I, I feel like a girl, what they mean by gender-affirming care is to take him to some hospital that will cut his penis off and make it so you can never have grandkids from him because they will sterilize him. And you know what? Your child and no child has the maturity to make a decision like that when they are a minor, a decision that is life-altering. Once you cut it off, you don't get it back. It is permanent. It is gone. And, and if adult wants to do that, adults can make decisions that affect the rest of their life, and that's part of the consequence of adulthood. But kids, kids don't have that right or ability. And, and what that, I, I'm sorry, I have to use the word lunatic Democrat has proposed in Virginia is that if your son says that to you, Ben, and you have the misfortune of living in Virginia, that they will come and arrest you, Ben, and charge you with a felony. She said a little bit later in that interview, it would be a felony. And lock you up in jail because you refused to, to remove your child's genitals. That is... Look, you and I have used the phrase cultural Marxism, and, yes. and I recognize to some people that that might seem harsh, that might seem extreme. But when you have Democrats literally proposing, we're going to lock moms and dads in jail 
unless they are willing to permanently sterilize and mutilate, mutilate their children, we have really gone over the edge. And, and, and you, you, that Democrat, I'll, I'll tell you, I've watched the video of that TV news interview. She's quite proud of herself saying this. She believes it is a wonderful thing that, 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 it, that if you won't do it, you should be charged with child abuse, prosecuted with a felony, and serve a long prison sentence. Well, and, and let's go down that road. What this also is about, Senator, is about then taking your children away from you, putting them yeah. in foster care that is obviously going to have to be, by their definition of what breaking the law is, would have to be someone that is in favor of gender-affirming surgeries, right? Of, of, of changing someone's gender. Because if you're a traditional family at that point as a foster family, I guess technically you could be charged with a crime if you didn't go down that road with the kid as sure. well. So it, it's, a, it's not just about putting the parent in jail. It's about the ultimate victory for them of if you're in jail, and we've charged you with child abuse, then by default, Child Protective Services would come in and take your child away from you and put them with a family that will be advocating for this lifestyle change. Yeah, you're exactly right. Now, let me be clear. This bill has not passed in Virginia yet, but it was proposed by an elected Democrat representative. She introduced the bill. And, and Virginia's been ground zero for a lot of these battles, because if, if you remember back to the gubernatorial race when Glenn Youngkin was running, I endorsed Glenn early on. He's been a friend of mine a long time. I, he and I barnstormed the state of Virginia uh, for two entire days right before Election Day. Uh, and a big part of why he won is, is that parents got fed up. In that election, Terry McCullough, the Democrat, in the debate, and by the way, note, he had a debate. Terry McCullough, in hindsight, probably wishes he didn't have a debate and followed the Joe Biden hide the basement strategy. Because in the debate, Terry McCullough said, parents have no business telling schools what's be what their children are being taught. And a whole bunch of mama bears, a whole bunch of Vir Virginia moms got pissed off. And they were moms who had voted for Joe Biden who turned around and voted for a Republican, Glenn Youngkin, and flipped the state. This is the next step of where the radicals want to go. They believe what Terry McAuliffe said, which is your children are not yours, they're theirs. They have the power to control what is taught to your children and now even what permanent life-altering medical treatments and mutilations are done to your children, even against your wishes as a mom or dad. Let's look at another crazy story that has come out there are two former leaders in the mainstream media center uh ex cnn chief boss jeff zucker and the ex msnbc chief phil griffin who have both come out over the weekend defended ignoring the hunter biden story not reporting on it. both their networks refused to touch it refused to report on it when it broke even when they had people coming to them telling them it was it was a legitimate news story uh they said during this uh, the quote unconvention it's a media convention thing that and while they were speaking on a panel together they both said look CNN, Zucker said, claimed they researched in the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, but admitted the network, quote, did not spend enough time vetting the authenticity of the story. Then CNN finally admitted, Senator, 532 days later that Hunter Biden's laptop from hell was authentic after the initial story broke a couple days before that. 
They also said it was, they did call it over and over again, Russian disinformation, and made up. They said that for the entire time they refused to admit it was a real story. But now, when they were asked about it, they both said, you got to understand something. We did the right thing here. We did the right thing because, quote, Hunter Biden was never arrested. So that is their new standard of, uh, of I guess, covering corruption in the media. Until somebody, or in politics, until someone is arrested, until someone is arrested for a crime, we don't cover the story. Do they do that with anybody around Donald Trump, by the way? I'm pretty sure that's not their standard. Well, Ben, lying liars lie. And with the corrupt corporate media, that's what they do. Look, when they say that, they know it's BS. They know they're lying when they say that. Um, Obviously, that's not their standard, that they will only cover uh, evidence of corruption when someone's arrested. Donald Trump, last I checked, Donald Trump has not been arrested. And, And I think they've covered every minute of every hour of every day for the last seven years, every allegation directed at Donald Trump. Um, by the way, you know, that they're right now doing the same thing to Herschel Walker. Last I checked, Herschel Walker wasn't arrested, but there have been all sorts of personal and nasty allegations against Herschel Walker, which they've breathlessly covered. Um, you know, they cover every attack directed at me. They cover breathlessly every attack directed at any other Republican. They cover breathlessly. By the way, they ignore attacks on Democrats across the board. So the Herschel Walker personal attacks are nasty. I wish politics didn't get into intra-family disputes. But at the same time, Raphael Warnock has some nasty intra-family disputes that are pretty ugly that I don't think we should get into either. But the media plays a very selective game where they're willing to drag all of one side's dirty laundry in public, but not the other side. When they said that at this convention, that, well, the reason we didn't cover it is he wasn't arrested. Every molecule in their body knew they were lying and they didn't care because they were in a room full of other liars. And it was simply a pretense to cover up their real reason, which is we wanted Joe Biden to win. We wanted Donald Trump to lose. And we were willing to lie in order to make that happen. It it was, I mean, the quote, and I still laugh at it, quote, he was never arrested. The Justice Department was looking into it, never reported it until he until he is the son of a candidate. I don't think it's a main story, quote, until that happens. The head of MSNBC said defending themselves on stage. So I mean, well, you guys need to calm down. We did our job. We were brilliant journalists in this matter. We just waited 500 and something days until uh, until we admitted the laptop was real. But before that, and, and I'm like, well, then you just contradicted your own standard. Because if your own standard is, Senator, that you we don't report on the story until someone's arrested, Hunter Biden has still not been arrested. So then why did you report on it after 500 days? You contradicted your own journalistic standard. Well, and the important thing to understand, they're not journalists anymore. They're not pretending to be journalists anymore. They are partisans. They're not just Democrats. They're the left wing of the Democrat Party. You know, what what it reminds me of is what we talked about in our last podcast, which is Joe Biden asking Saudi Arabia, hey, will you delay the output cut in oil for a month? Just delay it until after election. In other words, Joe Biden, I'm not interested in fighting for the American people. Biden's not going to fight for lower gasoline prices for families that can't afford to provide for their kids. He wants 30 days. Let me get past the election. 
just get me past the election, do, do me a political solid here. That's what CNN and MSNBC were doing. They looked at this story and said, ooh, this is bad for our guy. we got an election coming up. If we report on this, people won't like it, and they might not vote for our guy. And if they don't vote for our guy, the guy we don't like might win. So you know what? Unlike Saudi Arabia, who said, we're not going to be the political henchman for Joe Biden. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, CNN and MSNBC happily said, of course we're the political henchman for Joe Biden. That is our job. They do not behave any differently. Here's a question to ask yourself. Would MSNBC behave any differently if the Biden for president campaign literally signed their paychecks? And if every word they say on TV every day is identical to what they would say if their paycheck every two weeks came from Biden for president, that tells you they're not journalists, they're political hacks, and, and sadly, that's the, that's the reality of it. You, you even tweeted about this. Uh, it was an interesting point. There are people that are now demanding that a reporter that talked about uh, how, uh, the, how in a conversation she was having with a politician didn't believe that he was coherent in this conversation, and now she's been reprimanded, and people are demanding that she be fired. So even when the media does do their job, their own industry and their own network seems to turn on them like automatically because they didn't tote the line of propaganda. It really is stunning. They had this, this young NBC reporter who, who interviewed John Fetterman, and listen, Fetterman apparently is, is, is so mentally diminished that, that he required um, closed captioning. So not only would he hear the questions, but he had to read them to understand what the questions were. And, and this young reporter said afterwards, said, wow, he really is mentally diminished. I mean, it was I was trying to talk to him and he, he couldn't he didn't understand what, what I was saying and what was going on now. In any ordinary world, that would be called news. And for a young reporter, that's a big breaking story. She ought to be commended for actually reporting on news. But several things happened. Number one, Fetterman's wife has publicly called that this reporter be fired. Why? Go back to the question I, I, I said before. How would things be different if all of the corporate media's paycheck came from, in this case, instead of the Biden for president campaign, the John Fetterman for Senate campaign. Well, if this reporter had done this and she worked for the John Fetterman for Senate campaign, they would have fired her. So in some ways, I don't fault Mrs. Fetterman for saying one of our employees said something that was harmful to our candidate. Fire them. And it is interesting, the mandarins of the corrupt corporate media all jumped on board attacking this poor young reporter. Absurdly enough, The View, you know, the show The View, you, you, you had uh, Whoopi and Sonny going on and on about how terrible it was that this reporter actually reported on what she saw and how offensive it was. And, and, and I will say, Ben, I, I bring up that example with, with kind of a grin uh, because <laughs> a week for today. From I was today, saying, we're going to break some big uh, news, everybody. Get your DVRs ready because you're about to break some news. One week from today, I'm going to be on The View, and I'm going to be sitting there. Uh, with with those wonderfully fair and impartial arbiters of journalism, having a conversation about my new book, Justice Corrupted, which comes out next week, and and I am confident uh, we're going to see some fireworks a week from today on the View. I'm looking forward to it. 
Uh, but uh, but I will also welcome advice from uh, from verdict listeners uh, as 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 to what I should say and how I should handle it when they they descend upon me uh, with 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 uh, knives drawn. Yeah, send your send your questions. You can do it on social media. You can write us a five star review and, and and put your thoughts on there on the view and what the sender should say wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure obviously you share this podcast on social media. And lastly, sender, you're on the bus tour right now. As we mentioned, uh, you're going to be heading to a few more states. Uh, the bus tour is online at TC Bus Tour dot com. What's the next week look like for you on the on the tour? Uh, the next week is just straight on the road. We're heading right now to Iowa Falls, doing a rally this evening for Ashley Henson, who is a first-term member of Congress in a tight re-election battle. I think she's going to win, but I want to make sure she wins. We'll have a big rally there. Then we're headed over to Ohio next, doing a big rally uh, with J.D. Vance, which should be great. I think J.D. is going to win that Senate seat in Ohio. And from there, we continue on to Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Texas. Uh, as Ben said, you can go to tcbustour.com. You can find out the dates of the, the stops and, and, and come see us. Come get free tickets because it's uh, every rally we've done has been packed and the energy is awesome. I think we're doing, doing rallies with a total of 37 candidates all across the country, and we're about halfway through. It's been really strong so far. It's really fun to see you out there on the road and doing this for so many other conservatives because you know you got to have a team when you get back to Washington. Uh, even though it's not an election year for you, you're out there getting the work done for so many others, and we all appreciate that. Uh, we'll see all of our listeners back here in just a couple of days as we have expanded to three days a week. Make sure you tell your family and friends about it. Grab those tickets online, tcbustour.com. And don't forget to set that DVR for next Monday. Uh, Senator Cruz will be on The View. You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, Senator, I'll talk to you again in just a couple of days. Take care. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.